As always, I would greatly appreciate it if you would head over to iTunes, rate and review the podcast five stars. If you feel as though you've enjoyed this podcast, you've gotten something out of it over the last few years, or even if you're new and you like what you hear, a five-star rating goes a long way on iTunes or wherever it is you listen to podcasts. In addition, Drafters is a new best ball website app that uh, looks really cool. I've done a few drafts already. Um, looks like it's going to be uh, one of the favorite best ball sites of 2020. Um, being that I'm starting a new series of podcasts about best ball and strategy, hooked you up with a, uh, a referral code. You and I, if you join under my link that's in the description, we'll get uh, some bonus cash. Now let's get into the show. Welcome, everybody, to the Ride In NFL DFS podcast. The NFL draft is over. We have cashed our Jake Fromm, Jacob Eason, and Jordan Love over tickets. Too bad, so sad for the Tristan Wirfs slide in the draft. Disappointed us on that one. But it is time now to turn those profits into more winnings because it is time for best ball season. This marks the first episode in a series of best ball strategy podcasts, much like we did with the NFL draft. I will have different industry folks on now to, dis- to discuss dominating your best ball leagues. Today, we have Todd, also known as Todd from PA with 1D on Twitter. What's up, Todd? Hey, thanks for having me. Appreciate it. So, the one thing that I want to do before we get started, because this is a mainly a DFS and betting podcast. Um, I don't normally talk redraft or, uh, you know, best balls for the, for the most part, I'm, I'm going to expand my horizons now. Um, now that this podcast is a few seasons in and, and start doing some redraft and dynasty and best ball podcast type stuff. Uh, but for our listeners that have heard best ball on Twitter or have seen the advertisements, um, uh, on the websites that they frequent. Can you just explain how it's different from redraft for us uh, quickly? Sure. I think that's a wonderful question. So best ball is great practice for redraft. It gives you a really good idea of ADP. Uh, so that is one thing. The, the biggest difference is the type of players you select in best ball and it'll tie into what we're going to talk about, how to build a portfolio and have exposure. But the key thing is certain players profile differently. Uh, for example, uh, a guy like James Washington might be a guy that most people are just not going to draft and redraft this year because you never know when you want to start him. Best ball he just has to go off if, you know, right now, especially with Chase Claypool being drafted there, I think people are overreacting to that. And he, he's going undrafted now in 21 round drafts often, but he profiles perfectly for best ball because he catches a lot of long passes. The key difference between best ball and redraft is you want spike weeks and that's what you crave and since you don't have to pick each week who's starting, 
that allows you to uh, blend in those type of high um, output one week, zero output the next week guys, where in redraft, that isn't ideal. Yeah, and I love the way you said that there. You don't have to nail down the weeks that you have to have them in your starting lineup. And that's one of the main tenets of best ball. Every single week, your optimal lineup is set for you. And guys like Will Fuller, who go five points, five points, five points, 50 burger, you know, that's 65 points. It's the same as Keenan Allen going well, 18 actu points. Actually... I'm sorry to interrupt, but no, go ahead, go ahead. the way you build your team, and we're going to get into how to blend risk in, 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 into these teams, both on an overall uh, portfolio perspective, as well as the perspective of each individual team. But the, the, the goal is, if you're going to have seven or eight wide receivers on a best ball team, those weeks where Fuller puts up fives, you're hoping you've got other guys who give you 10 to 15 those weeks and the week that Fuller gives you 50. So he was basically on your bench for those five point weeks. And then you're able to grab and access that 50 point week. And that is invaluable in best ball. Very well said. And, you know, to my point, you're right. You wouldn't even need those five point weeks from Will Fuller because hopefully someone else, would be in your optimal lineup. So you keep mentioning the word exposure and it's something that this podcast is very familiar with and we talk about it all the time because when you're building DFS lineups, multiple DFS lineups, uh, you have to you know, keep in mind the exposure of each player that you are having. So the, in, in that instance, best ball and DFS are somewhat similar. So could you just uh, touch on the basics of how exposure in best ball works? Sure. So I'm a high volume player and the more volume you have, the more important it is to keep exposure as one of the t key tenants of your best ball strategy. Uh, and what I mean by that is I see a lot of guys on Twitter saying, I've got 40% of this guy, 40% of that guy. Well, in a best ball format, if you've got 40% of a guy and you've got 100 lineups, the one thing we know about the NFL is there's going to be a lot of injuries. And if you've got a guy and he gets injured week two and you've got 40% of him, you're going to struggle to be profitable on those 100 teams depending on where you drafted that guy. Um, and we'll talk about that as um well as we go on as far as you know wh what's the maximum you want on a guy based on when you draft him and every person comes up with their own philosophy but for me my two big years when i was really profitable i didn't own more than 23 percent of any player and if you if you build your teams right and you know normally when you start out uh, the first thing you need to learn when you do best ball is roster construction. A lot of the information out there on best ball is about roster construction. It's easy to find. I won't bore your listeners with it, but it's kind of like the guardrails on your teams. You, you don't want to have four quarterbacks uh, on fan ball. Uh, the winning percentages, and you'll hear me talk win percentages a lot when you hear me talk about best ball, 
is, you know, it, it just falls off a cliff at four running backs. But you'll hear people argue all day long about two or three quarterbacks, and you can win with either one. The difference is about half to 1% on a yearly basis. And that's also pretty noisy because some years you'll get a late round quarterback who you take and he really goes off. That's going to make three quarterbacks look better than two. So um, that's the basics of roster construction. Once you get past that, you want to talk about exposure. And, and to me, the key takeaway is uh, it's about tier drafting. And that's how you end up with 23% or less. Uh, and, and we can get into that in a little bit. So the first thing that I, I think I want to get into is how drafting uh, by round is different. And in a normal redraft, you know, sometimes players have a strategy of being safer in the early rounds and then maybe take more chances with high upside guys later in the draft. Uh, is that something that is mirrored in best ball? And how does your exposure to players in the earlier rounds uh, differ, especially in terms of injury. Um, are you worried about? Do you completely avoid injury risks in the first in the first couple rounds, um, or are you willing to take some some shots uh, well, in those? That, that's where, by being, you know, the big difference is if you're doing redraft, you're probably only having three or four teams. When you've got a hundred teams, right? The average is eight and a half percent. A certain amount of uh, restriction is going to be put on you in the first round or two just based on ADP. You know, you might want, like, I would have loved to have had Christian McCaffrey more last year, but I never got number the first or second pick. Uh, I, it just was one of those years where I wasn't getting that, uh, that draft slot. So there's a certain amount of, of, of exposure tightening that happens naturally in the first two rounds just based off of uh, ADP and what draft choice you get or don't get. Uh, but the most important thing is you, you can win your draft in the, you rarely win your draft in the first two rounds, but it's very easy to lose your draft. Uh, keep, so every year winning percentage the highest winning percentage is almost always a first or second round guy. It was Christian McCaffrey two years in a row. Before that, it was Todd Gurley uh, one or two years. You know, so you're going to want a, 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 you know, you want to be overweight on the right guys. But the thing that most people don't realize is that the, by far, the biggest, the worst winning percentage is guys in the first or second round who underperform or get hurt. So we're talking two to 3% win rates. That puts you really behind the eight ball. And that's why I don't want to be uh, too exposed to anyone in the first or second round. I try to keep my exposure between 12 and 15%. Uh, last year I didn't. And, and of course the two guys that I went nuts on both disappointed greatly. Antonio Brown, we all know that story. I thought second round late, I was going through a lot of personal things and I just wasn't careful with my exposure and I got crushed. The other one was David Johnson, got crushed. So 
I really feel strongly 12 to 15% is the max. That's a lot of leverage. If you've got 15% of a guy, that's double what the rest of the league has. If your guy goes off like Christian McCaffrey, you're going to have a good and winning best ball year, most likely. Uh, so that, that's the long and short of it. Uh, in the first or second rounds, the two things that you can't con- that you uh, that you you know you have to keep in mind are you're going to be limited so much uh, anyway in how much exposure you can get, and those guys who bomb really crush your teams. You don't want to have 25, 30 percent of a guy in the first or second round, even if you can get them. And so, so how does that change as you drop down into the later rounds? Is there any player, let's say, in the 10th, 11th round? Like, for instance, I'm – and my, my listeners know this because I already had some discussion about best ball on, on a previous podcast. I'm like a 20 to 30 uh, league type person. I am – when I want to do a mock draft or maybe when I see on – Twitter, there's a like an industry uh, best ball going around. I'll just throw my hat in the ring, etc. I, I don't normally track exposure, but um, how would you like if you have a late round guy? Like for me last year, it was Darren Waller, and it worked out. I seem to like the tenth, eleventh, twelfth round would roll around. He would still be there, and I would snag him as my tight end two or three in almost every single draft. Is that something you shouldn't be doing? The more drafts that you are signing up for or is it okay to do that if it's the third tight end or your eighth receiver etc it won't happen for me due to the way um, I build a a portfolio and we'll get into that I know I keep saying we'll get into that but we will Um, in theory I don't have a problem with having 40 percent of a 12th round guy because if he gets hurt or disappoints that alone isn't going to kill your teams and if you're right you get a lot of, I talked about the top winning percentages coming from the first and second round. After that, it is that eight to 12th round guy. Uh, a couple years ago, I was getting Zach Ertz in the ninth and the 10th, and the next year he was in the second round. Well, that, that really helped me. The reason I won't have it is because, uh, so f- for you, who's only doing 20 or 30, go for it. For me, who's building 100 to – really, I do about 200 to 250 a year teams. I blend my teams in different ways, and I have a philosophy that I call tier drafting. So basically, when you look at a tier, right, I think everyone is familiar from the early days of playing fantasy football what a tier is because all the magazines had guys in tiers – uh, analysts talk about it all the time. At the end of the year, when you look at a tier and you look at the guys who stayed healthy, let's say the guy that you love, you know, is 100, he scores 180 fantasy points. And the guy that you really didn't like, he scored 150 fantasy points. When you look at that difference on a 16 game basis, it's not worth the injury risk to load up on one guy and not have any of another guy. That, that's just my tier drafting philosophy. So then what I do when I'm on the clock in those rounds is I look at my team and I'll use things like once we get bye weeks, 
Uh, I don't want too many bye weeks the same week because if you take a zero, you're playing a contest where you're really shooting for first place out of 12. You don't want to just give up points if you can help it. Um, I believe in stacking just like DFS. If, you know, if I'm looking at, you know, let's say a wide, two wide receivers and I've got 15% of one and I've got 11% of the other, I'd like to get the, you know, and 6% of a third guy. I might look in that 6% guy. I obviously don't like him as much as the other two, but if his quarterback is already on my team, that's a great time to build some uh, exposure on that 6% guy. So that's how I draft. I use different tiebreakers within a tier. And what, what that ends up happening is you supercharge each team while having a balanced exposure because the one thing none of, you know, first of all, we're all going to be wrong anyway. You were right on Waller, and that's great. But think about that other 12th or 13th round guy you were wrong on. Now, add that into the fact that everybody can get injured, and that's why it's good to blend your exposure. I hope that made sense. Absolutely. And I think our listeners, as you are talking, they are relating this more and more to playing DFS, right? The exposures, the, um, you know, being risk averse uh, in certain areas, but then turning it on with the stacking um, just to maximize points is something that is very familiar to, to the listeners of this podcast. And I'll let you know that the player that I was completely wrong on that was about on as many teams as Darren Waller was Paul Richardson. Uh, so when you talk about mixing up your portfolio, uh, that's something that I want to get into as well. Is there different ways that you go about mixing up your portfolio of players? Is there certain aspects that you focus on? Well, the first thing everyone who does a lot of drafts needs to do, and I don't always do it enough myself, but, you know, because it's human nature went to, to not want to hold up a draft and to draft from your phone, but... I'm a huge b believer in using a, uh, an ADP tool. Uh, Rotoviz has the best one that I've used for years. Mike Beers, uh, shout out to Mike, is, it's just a phenomenal product. And for FFPC, Darren Armani, Fantasy Mojo has, and, and you know, and if you bought both of those uh, subscriptions, it would cost you 70 bucks, I think, tops. And then what you can do, because what happens is if you're going to do 100 to 150 drafts, think about it. I'm a DFS player. And when I started doing well at DFS, it was when I realized that a lot of things that made me successful at basketball translated. And one thing every, every DFS guy knows is, you know, when you, when you run your optim, optimization tool, you know, first of all, if you're building 100 teams by hand, you're probably doing it wrong at this point. Um, you know, with a last minute change on a Sunday, you're screwed. So every DFS player watches his exposure like a hawk, or he should, right? So it's no different in best ball. So when I'm on the clock, I go to the tool, it's easy to forget when you're, you know, it's not like a, a, a Sunday in DFS where you're building your teams and you know exactly what your ownership is. 
when you're drafting seven, eight, nine, ten teams at a time, it's really, you know, over the course of seven months, it's really easy to forget, you know, oh, I thought I had more of this guy. No, you don't. So basically, I'll go to the tool. I'll look at my exposure on, on the players. I'll, I'll look at the team and I'll think, you know, uh, one thing we want to get into is blending risk, which, again, is something that translates very well to daily fantasy. And, you know, so I'll look and I'll see, is there a stacking opportunity here? Is there a bye week here? I've got three or four guys. I like player A more than player B, more than player C, more than player D, but I don't hate any of them. And then I'll look at my exposure. I'll look at how much I own of each. And I will build in, you know, that fail safe of taking sometimes the C guy and it might feel counterproductive at the time you're doing it, but when player A gets hurt week one and you've only got 15% of him and he would have scored 180 points, and this is if you're doing models, and player C would score 160, that's inconsequential versus the injury. So that's how I, that's how I do it. Is there any point in which you factor in the risk of certain players when you're on the clock. For instance, if you feel as though you've already taken too many boomer bust players like a Will Fuller or like last year, let's even say a Christian Kirk, where their game, their big games were, were up and down, do you from that point think, all right, well, three of my receivers are these guys that you know can kind of disappear. I better start taking um, uh, somewhat safer players is is that something or just talk about how you factor in risk when you're making your your teams individually and as a portfolio so the example i always use is an alcoholic beverage right it, we've all gone to a bar where there's not enough alcohol in the drink and you just like oh i don't even feel like drinking this and then you go to another bar where there's so much alcohol in it you know, you get completely plastered after two drinks and you don't have a good time that night, right? So to me, risk, risk is like the alcohol in the drink, right? It gets you where you need to go. You need to have a certain amount of, drink, of, uh, of risk to be successful at daily fantasy, fantasy football. Mod modifying that risk, both within each team and as an overall portfolio, then becomes very important. So to answer your question, yes. First of all, I would never get to uh, the point where I have three Will Fuller-like players on the same team. That, that's just, it, it makes the team too fragile. And because I'm going to have plenty of Will Fuller and plenty of, um, you know, some other risky guys throughout the course of my whole portfolio, I don't need to put them on the same team. That's a way that I can, again, use my tier drafting philosophy and, oh, I love Will Fuller. He's, he's a favorite of mine. He's a guy who, especially, I think he's being underestimated with Hopkins gone because people just have, you know, just like Dale, another thing that really translates well from daily fantasy is, you know, I love playing the guy who failed the week before because it, it, players fail on one week. Well, you know, Will Fuller is a guy who's failed. It looks like he's never going to stay healthy. But if he does, 
and Hopkins is gone with Watson as quarterback, he could be a 250-point player and put up 10 really great weeks and give you a, a 20% win rate. So, but I don't want to mix him with two or three other guys who, you know, so if I've already got someone who I consider is risky, let's say a running back, uh, I've got two running backs who are in, um, let's say like, uh, let's say I drop, I draft carry on Johnson and Damian Williams. They both dropped to the sixth, seventh, eighth round. I feel they're being undervalued at that point versus what their role might be. But now I can get Wolf Fuller the next round. No, that's when I'll look at my tier and say, who else is in this tier? Slayton is being drafted in that tier. Uh, Crowder's being drafted in that tier. I don't like them as much as Fuller, but they're better fits for that team. And that's how I also blend my overall portfolio because I'm mixing the, the, the risk in each team. This is just, this is great stuff, and the the, the comparisons with D, DFS I think are going to get our listeners. You know, if they haven't been best ball players in the past, uh, it's definitely something that I recommend <clears throat> that you try, especially because you know DFS is on hold for right now. Aside from you know Outlaw Tour Golf, which is this you know uh, tour of jabronis that are playing golf in Arizona right now that uh, you can uh, gamble on or Madden simulations, et cetera, there's really not much going on. So if you used to play NBA, if you used to play MLB, uh, and obviously right now you can't get your money in sunk into that, uh, that operation, then I think best ball is definitely the way for you to go because hopefully we do have NFL in a few months and that is something to occupy your time at this not, point. Not, not only that, we all know the best three weeks of NFL is the first three weeks. The year that I, you know, I won like 15 grand on DraftKings one year. I came in fifth in the slant. I had a couple other big hits. That team that was fifth in the slant also came in uh, 13th in the Millie Maker. I think it was 13th or 15th in the Millie Maker. Nice. Um, a lot of the top uh, DFS weeks I've had are with guys that I was real familiar with from following best ball. You know, you know, one of the things that I really look for is talent, whether it's, this is one of the things I think that translates very well from best ball to, um, you know, I don't want to draft a Cole Beasley. I mean, he, he's, he's fine. There's nothing wrong with Cole Beasley, but he has no ceiling, right? You know, maybe in a week of NFL, one week out of 16, he'll give you a ceiling, right? But do you really want to invest your money in that guy in best ball? You know, give me that guy like James Washington. Give me that guy like Kenny Stills historically. Um, give me the guy who can, you know, or a running back who is the backup on a team or a third down back where if the, the main guy gets injured, he, you know, now he's the main guy, you know, I'm always looking for talent and finding those talented guys who need a break. And then if they get that break and you're looking at a daily fantasy week and you're saying, man, I know this dude's talented and now he's got the opportunity, you know, and that's where I am willing in D on a DFS Sunday, I'm willing to go 70, 80, 90% on a guy. It's completely different than best ball. 
because I don't have to worry about injury except for an in-game injury. And, you know, if that happens, you move on to the next week. Um, so you can put a really heavy stake on a guy that's talented like that. I, like one year it was Chris Thompson. I got Chris Thompson at like 0.5% owned and he got 25 DraftKings points and I almost took down attorney. Yeah, and I think one of the important questions that you, you could ask yourself when drafting a best ball team, which is different than drafting a DFS team, you know, if Cole Beasley's 3K and you think he's going to go for 10 points, more so in a cash game, yeah, okay, you're, you're 3Xing your salary, and if it fits with the rest of your team, you love what the rest of your team looks like, that's fine. In a best ball setting, you have to ask yourself, how many times is Cole Beasley going to crack the starting lineup? And, you know, if, it's, if you think it's potentially zero or one or two, then obviously you want to shy away from him in favor of someone, like you said, James Washington, who may crack the starting lineup four or five. But when they crack the starting lineup, if they give you 17 to 22 points, that's what you're looking for, right? Exactly. You know, you don't, yeah, I mean, you know, hopefully, you you know, like a guy like Jarvis Landry is a good guy to build into a best ball team. But if I, and, and this is another way that you build in risk. So I look at my wide receivers, uh, like I got a, here, here's wide receivers that I've, uh, I, I just pulled up a random team that I drafted. Just finished. I got Mike Evans. I've got Marquise Brown. Now, we all know Marquise Brown is super high risk, right? Super fluctuating. Small guy could get hurt. My, my next wide receiver was Darius Slayton, another guy with upside but not as fragile. Then I took Manny Sanders and Hunter Renfro as my next two picks. This was pre-draft, so Renfro had more value at that time. Um, so, I, you know, Evans is you know, Manny Sanders should be a guy who gets points every week. Renfro's a guy you would think would give you that. So I'm looking to, you know, build a wide receiver core, and I'll pull up another one. Um, I've got Tyreek Hill, and then my next pick was Allen Robinson, and then Michael Gallup, then Will Fuller, then Deontay Johnson, and then mix in Preston Williams, Allen Lazard. So I've got a mix there that's a little bit risky of a crew but when they hit they're going to hit pretty big and that's what you want in best ball so one of the things that you just touched on um, was running backs and you mentioned third down backs potentially uh backup running backs goal line running backs there are you know in in the nfl today there aren't many backs that are on the field for 95% of the, the snaps like Christian McCaffrey is. So is, is zero RB something that you deploy when you are doing your um, best ball teams? Is there a philosophy that you have with drafting running backs? Well, yes. In general, I want to get them early. Um, I, I like coming out of the first six rounds with three of them. Um, but I, I, I will, so to answer your question, on an overall portfolio, I always want to have five to 10% of my teams be zero RB teams. And those just kind of come to you. 
because you'll just find yourself, well, the best guy on my board right now is a wide receiver. Best guy right now on my board is a wide receiver. Best guy is a tight end. Now you're through three rounds and you have no running backs and you say, you know what? This will be a zero RB team. And what people don't understand about zero RB, they just think it's avoiding running backs early. There's a certain profile that Sean Siegel talked about when he introduced this theory. And it's guys who uh, have, you know, it's third down backs who will catch passes, give you that 10, 15 points a week. And then you're mixing in a lot of guys who are the backup, basically. Guys like Latavius Murray is a perfect example. Latavius Murray is, you know, if, you know you're hoping he's going to pay off your 10th round uh, draft spot enough with no injury to Alvin Kamara. And what you're counting on is him giving you 10 points, five, eight points, 10 points, 12 points. And you're finding four or five guys like that. And then you're hoping for one or two injuries and those guys crush. But what you're really counting on is those five, six wide receivers really doing well. And then if you get lucky and you get uh, an Alvin Kamara injury on a team with Latavius Murray, now you've got the equivalent of a second round running back on a team, but you paid 10th round, 11th round for him. That's the key to zero RB. And then what I like to do is I like to mix in not just zero RB teams into my portfolio. If uh, I like to build uh, one of the winning uh, strategies is two early tight ends. And that has a great winning percentage some years and a terrible winning percentage other years. Really depends if those uh, tight ends get hurt or not. So on a year where you got a Kelsey and a Gronk and, and your first two picks and they stayed healthy, that is a great way to build a team. But if one of them gets hurt, it's a terrible way to build a team. So you don't want a ton of exposure, but I do like to build 10 to 15 out of 100 teams where I've got two early tight ends, 10 to 15 that have zero running back. So now my overall portfolio is mixed just as my individual teams are mixed. So would you say that you don't necessarily want to draft? Do you, do you avoid running backs in that 8 to 12 range? Are you more of a, you know, go get some studs and then take some, some deeper flyers towards the back half? Now, this is on teams that you're, that you're concentrating on drafting running backs or running backs fall to you in those first couple rounds. Are you, are you avoiding the middle guys? Is that, do you like no. a barbell approach to running no, backs or no? Not at all. So basically, you know, my approach, if you didn't get it for the first five rounds is do no harm. Okay. Because running backs get scarcer than wide receivers though. I use that as a tiebreaker in the early rounds. So if I've got Allen Robinson and let's say in the fourth round, a running back that I may get to the fifth round of a draft I'm in right now. All right. So um, I got, uh, I, I got the third pick. I took some Zeke and Oh, here's a perfect example. I'll pull up the draft board. I took, um, I took um, Kenyon Drake. He fell to the, um, uh, end of the second round in this draft. Uh, he's going earlier now. Julio and, uh, was on the, uh, on the board too. Now, I actually like Julio just a little more than Drake, but it's so close that I took Drake and then I took Le'Veon Bell in the third round 
and I came back with uh, Adam Thielen and Devontae Parker in the fourth and the fifth round. So for me, in the early rounds, I like to come out of uh, most best ball drafts on a fan ball where you, it's a 20-man team. I like to have five. Five is the best roster construction of running backs. I like to have at least four through 10 rounds. And, you know, so again, if I get to the eighth round, ninth round, 10th round, and the best guy there is a running back, I, I will take him. No qualms. It, to me, it's about as adding as much value to each team as you can within a portfolio and using tiebreakers within a tier. And positional scarcity at running back is one of those tiebreakers. So uh, you mentioned fan ball there. And obviously for our listeners, maybe some haven't really set out on this best ball path yet. Let's talk about, and this is how we're going to close up the pot. Let's talk about your favorite places to play best ball. Uh, maybe they could go check them out. Um, and actually in the description of this podcast, you can click on a link for drafters. And uh, if you deposit using that link, both myself and the listener will get a little bit of a kickback. So that's nice. If you want to start on drafters, use the link in the podcast description. Uh, but what I want from you, Todd, is, is there a site you prefer and is there a way to attack different best ball? And I know we're, we're probably not going to get into everything because you could probably go on for two hours about the different sites and uh, how to attack each site, but what's your favorite site and what are some of the differences that you look to exploit with, um, you know, scoring and roster size and things like that? I don't have a favorite anymore. It used to be fan ball, but it wasn't fan ball at that time. MFL, myfantasyleague.com, invented best ball for the most part, right? And it was all the talk of the industry. It was what I studied. I wrote articles about, um, podcasted about. I do my own Run to Daylight podcast where I do a lot of, you know, if you want to learn more about best ball and you don't mind uh, following me on Twitter uh, and listening to my pod. Uh, so, but... I, I also always did a lot with the FFPC. I love the FFPC and, you know, I, I, I have a relationship with the FFPC. Um, every podcast that I do, you will hear me do a, a, an ad read for them. That, that, I would never to do an ad read for something I don't believe in. That's just not me. Um, what I love about the FFPC is it's a 28 round format. It's tight end premium. You only start two wide receivers instead of three. So I call it the most challenging format. And if you're really good with sleepers, especially early on, it's great. They've just added 20 uh, man, uh, 18 man slim drafts as well to kind of mirror what draft did. And that, and that was the wild card because last year I really invested in learning draft because it was the most popular. So it was a real kick in the you-know-whats that they haven't come back with it. Um, so I'm really between, right now, dollar-wise, about 50-50 between Fanball and FFPC. Um, FFPC has $35 drafts, so it's harder to build a portfolio. Um, and Fanball has lower dollar, uh, 5, 10, 15, 20, 5, 10, 25, 50, so um, those would be my two. Uh, I, I really can't even get into the strategies. There's so much that goes into each site. 
Um, but uh, again, I highly recommend the Rotoviz roster uh, construction app, and it can show you exactly how to build a team. And if you follow me on Twitter and you start listening to my pods, I do get into each site and how to build for each one, if that's okay. Absolutely, Todd. This was a delight. Uh, Todd Burrows at Todd with one D from PA at Todd from PA on Twitter. Make sure you go follow him. Make sure you check out his Run to Daylight podcast as well. If you're interested in uh, starting up some of these best balls, as I mentioned, in the description will be some links for you to click uh, to join some of these websites where we both get a little bit of a kickback would be uh, a nice thank you to Todd and myself. Todd, thanks for coming on. It was a ton of fun, ton of insightful stuff. All I see is signs, all I see is dollar signs.